House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We've got a uh, great guest. Actually, the last year we just rerun the show in in a uh, couple of our stations, and that was for the Hunting Hitler, and that was with. Uh, Dr. Michael Simpson, and he's back again, and uh, thank you for joining us on this crazy show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah. Well, it's Are you sure? Well, at this point, I'm really wondering if, uh, if you're allowed to plunge your own toilet in Australia or if you have to call a plumber. That's good what, point. That's what I get, you know, uh, some of these laws. But, you know, it, it could be worse, you know. Uh, the British are, are even worse, right? So, I, mean, I think it's a conspiracy point. with the plumber's union. Yeah, call Alex. Get yeah. him on the phone. <laughs> I want to talk to you. There's, uh, you know, I, I don't remember what state it is, but, but I was told once that there's a, a law still on the books that if you're going to drive a horseless carriage through an intersection, you must first... Step into the intersection and fire a rifle into the air. Well, that's still make going sure on. you're not going to run any ho- any horses over. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's still going on, but I, yeah, I, I don't think for the same reasons. <laughs> no, no. That's here in Alabama, right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's all they do in Alabama. They shoot up the WalMarts. Wow. Well, we have to have a certified firearms instructor to fire that rifle, though. that's true okay okay i'm into that well okay so now hunting hitler is back it's season three yes we are and and um yes i just caught the the first two last night um so i'm not all the way up to date so what's the whole plan with the new season like kind of do you have a direction that you want to go in for this season different than the last one um, the, the way it's different in a couple of ways. Um, first and foremost, being uh, the 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 big momentum that we got off of season two was uh, that we weren't really talking about it on the show for the viewers at home to see, but by the by the end of season two, we were really doing a lot of what we call asset mapping, uh, which means we we kept noticing these inner circle names of people that were directly associated with Adolf Hitler, people that he would trust. uh, These names kept popping up uh, geographically and temporally related to one another. Um, With the momentum that we had coming off of Season 2, Bob being the extremely experienced uh, analyst that he is, with all of his years of experience running operations like this, um, he went out looking for some more ex- expertise and uh, brought Nada Bakos onto the team. And that is her area of expertise, actually, is asset mapping. Um, she has been very involved in the global war on terror uh, in helping us uh, track down nefarious individuals such, such as Osama bin Laden himself. So this, uh, this is right in her wheelhouse. So uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't ask for a better person in the, in the situation room to be helping us in the field with the asset mapping aspect of it. So 
that and combined with the fact that, and I, I think I talked about this with you guys uh, last season, it, there's this weird phenomenon that actually in between seasons, when seasons are already wrapped, we are inundated with new information. It's, it's like, it, it's almost like, I remember thinking last season, the amount of information that I got through social media contacts, uh, emails and everything else, I'm like, wow, I wish we could go back and just tack on another three episodes with all this new information. Well, it, that wasn't just for me. That was for the whole team. So a lot of the information that you're seeing, again, these came from people that saw the show and said, hey, I know somebody that has information from that. And also, as we, we've continued to progress, more and more things have become declassified. And, you know, this started in the original first season with uh, a, basically a cache of FBI documents that were declassified. Now this year, we have, aside from the worldwide investigation that this has become, literally getting documents from all over the world, we have a new cache of declassified CIA documents uh, that came out in kind of two, two spurts, as it, as it were. Uh, we already had already started this season uh, investigate, investigative leg, and then, of course, the, the, the big release that everybody was aware of uh, that happened fairly recently was the one uh, with the, uh, the JFK documents, which kind of inadvertently had some stuff that dovetailed into our investigation as well. It's, it's, it's pretty un unusual the, um, how they tie together. Um, what's, what's kind of the most of the information that you're getting on off-season what is most of it about? Like, what's it directed to? When people contact you, are they saying, like, uh, they knew where Hitler was? Or what seems to be the direction that people give you? Um, I've gotten everything. I've gotten everything that runs the gamut from um, I, uh, my great-uncle or my grandfather worked in ex-location and... He was the driver for someone we later determined to be this person, you know, a, a, a known uh, Nazi that was that was fleeing after the Third Reich. Um, we get uh, a, a lot of information like that, and we also get um, a little bit of the, the crazier stuff. I did get contacted by somebody who uh, basically told me they were uh, a genetically engineered. Uh, Nazi super child, and they had been asked to keep it a secret their entire life. Um, mm. But they, had, as a child, they were visited at childhood uh, birthdays by Mengele and by other individuals. Um, it sounded a lot like some deleted scenes from the movie Boys from Brazil. Yeah, obviously, I that person yeah. <laughs> didn't get a lot of free. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm I'm sorry about that. That was Kevin. You know, I know he did that. Um. <laughs> so I told him not, not to call you, but you know, uh, you can't control him. Mike, listen. Yeah, yeah, how yeah. much of that information that you get is is uh, is good information that you can use? Um, I have to say, just just from the information that I see, that kind of personally goes through me, uh, five ten percent percent at the outside, but probably more like five percent. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of it is hey people saying I get a lot of hey I've done my own research and by done their own research they've spent a lot of time googling things. Uh, 
And uh, they, they really haven't come up with anything that's a new theory. A lot of times they've come up with stuff that we've already, we discarded uh, a long time ago. Um, uh, I, we've had uh, people pop up claiming to be uh, junior officers on the, you know, the, the U-boat that was never accounted for um, that are pretty easily discredited. Um, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, it's like there's a lot of fake Elvis memorabilia out there. It, it, it's, the, it's very similar with this investigation. There's, there's a lot of people that have um, gotten a lot of free drinks over the years telling some bogus stories about maybe meeting Hitler or uh, being in proximity to some escaping Nazis. Um, and, I mean, we, we have to run down just about every lead, but a lot of them end up, uh, you can discredit them fairly rapidly with, without e- with nothing more than just some superficial investigation. Now, who, who does these investigations in order to filter that information that's useful or not useful? Um, most of that is done uh, by by Bob and by by Nada and by some people that you, you don't see behind the scenes that we have making a lot of phone calls, actually traveling places and kind of talking to people in advance, saving us a little bit of the legwork. But um, but everybody on the show, you know, everybody is legitimately a part of the investigation. That's uh, there there are many directions that we took this year that were. Only do I, I credit James Holland with a lot of what you're going to see in some of the upcoming episodes because this is all the research that he did. Um, in about two or three episodes, um, you're going to get uh, a little bit of a backstory on uh, a, a nefarious individual who has almost a Nazi version of, of a Jason Bourne type story um, mm. that's really interesting. Uh, that you know that was that was all James, and you know and of course. Early in the seasons, especially, you know, this the whole framework of this investigation um, couldn't have been laid out if it wasn't for Gerard Williams and his incredible work that, that he's done in this. You know, really a lifetime uh, of work by him to, to set the framework for this. So that you know, that's kept us going all along. And uh, Lenny DePaul, who I got to work with for the first time uh, on camera this year. Uh, just has contacts all over the world. And, you know, Lenny, Lenny can pick up a phone and verify an individual's identity uh, or, you know, get some corroboration on somebody's story or get somebody discredited uh, very quickly. And, of course, you know, Tim and I, worldwide military contacts, uh, I spent almost a decade of my life in South America, so there are always people that I can turn to there and, and, and always assets that I can call on. Yeah, I, I, you know we've had uh, Jill Gerard, Gerard uh, Williams on uh, a few times mm-hmm. from his book. You know, the Gray Wolf and uh, James Holmes, mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, but that's pretty time-consuming when you get a lot of these, uh, you know, off-the-cuff sort of weird uh, things that people tell you. You know, um, Hitler's mm-hmm. on the moon and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, on the moon or in Antarctica or something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. Um, so, ha- have you already filmed the whole season now? Are you done filming? Yeah, we're completely done. Season three um, is uh, completely in the can. So, um, can you tell us the ending? Uh, in fact, <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, 
As if the trailer doesn't. Fade to fade to black. Roll credits. <laughs> no, I just wanted to. Add, yeah. yeah. Do you find that uh, a lot of I people? Can, I, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you find a lot of people when you're out in these places and you're actually um, in a location and you're looking for um, Nazis, basically, or Hitler, or anything to do with that mm-hmm. group? Do you find a lot of people to be kind of um, quiet con- or even confrontational or to the point where they don't want to talk? Uh, absolutely. And uh, the it, it's a weird mixture because sometimes people will uh, be put in contact with us or we'll be put in contact with them. Um, there'll be, you know, some initial reaching out, some initial back and forth to kind of get an idea of what, what their story is going to be. Um, you know, if it's worth us taking the time to go out there and, and, you know, physically sit down with them face to face, you know, there, there has to be some vetting up front. Um, and we try to do as much corroboration and, and verification as we can with, know through the channels and, and you know, make sure that this is a this is not a person who's known for you know telling lies in the area or whatever it might be but uh, oftentimes when we actually show up and start to talk to them and, and we might have you know, a, a, another person that has said this person has told me this exact story about seeing uh, you know whoever it might be Eichmann Mengele Bormann Hitler himself, they told me this story 20 times. It's, it's well known that they tell this story. Or that, you know, their father was so-and-so, you know, with a, a name change or somebody who worked for them. But once they see the camera and we start to ask the questions, sometimes you see them pull in a little bit. It's like, now my face is going to be all over the world saying that me or my family uh is associated with this uh, horrible thing. And they'll all of a sudden not want to say some things that they've probably said to somebody in the past. And that's a little bit of a challenge to draw that out. Um, Other times, people will claim to have a story, and uh, in, in the middle of speaking to them, you'll realize that maybe there's one nugget of truth in that story, but 75% of it is uh, they're, they're either uh, looking through the lens of time and uh, seeing it a little bit differently or, you know, you know, trying to make the story a little bit better than it was, uh, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, a little embellishment. And uh, there, there have been several interviews that we've conducted that have not made it on camera. Um, there was one in the second season where uh, I got up and, and just, walked out of a guy's house and I said this number one he's lying to me number two I think he's a Nazi <laughs> and I'm not we're, we're done uh, I'm like cause this and this was after two hours of, of back and forth and, and me trying to get a certain bit of information and uh, literally every field interrogation I technique I know not working you know you know from you know being very nice to him and, and complimenting him uh, to just out and out being confrontational, I said, we're, we're just not going to, you know, this guy's here because he wants to sell a book and uh, and really doesn't have any information that we don't already have. We're wasting our time. 
Um, so it, it's it's challenging, you know. And there's 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 days that that we get back to where we're staying, and I say, wow, you know, we t- we talked to three people today that gave us nothing more than we we didn't already have. Nothing nothing that's ever going to get seen on TV, and we just you know we flew all this way, or maybe took a boat or whatever it might be to get here, and uh, we basically wasted our time. But that's that's the nature of the investigation. You know, not not every lead is going to be a hundred percent. You know, this isn't we're not we're not walking in and scripting this, so they're not going to tell us exactly what we want to hear for the purpose of the cameras. So um, it's uh, it's dicey. <laughs> it really is. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they're flying you all over, too, so that's okay. You're not paying for it. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's not too bad. <laughs> no, no. And, but but I, I, what I was sort of getting at was, um, is there a fear still of Nazism? Like, um, are, some oh, of people, yeah. Yeah, are some of them actually scared that um, if they speak out against, you know, any sort of Nazis that something could happen to them now? Like, is there still that going on? Like, we, you know, you talk about the Fourth Reich and kind of the mm-hmm. idea of that's where it was going. So is there a Fourth Reich out there right now and, and, and Nazis that would do something to people if they were trying to speak out about it? Um, the impression that I've gotten from, from everyone that I've talked to, is yeah, number one, yes, the fear is 100% still there. Um what is out there right now? I don't. I don't know if I would call it the Fourth Reich. Uh, the, the Fourth Reich is a theme that came up a little bit last season and comes up again this season. Um, if I, if I, and this, this is this is Mike's opinion. This is nothing that's ever you'll ever see on the show. But if I had to put a name on whatever might be out there right now, and I do think it's out there, I would actually call it more of a Fifth Reich. And I think it's. Um, it's unlike anything that we have kind of envisioned Nazism to be in the past. I think the people that are out there now that are espousing those same beliefs, that are willing to commit those same atrocities, um, I think they have learned to call themselves by different names, and I think they have learned to divorce themselves from the symbolism of the past. Um, I don't think, you know, we, we see on the news, there, there's a, obviously, a, a, you know, still a collection today of some very deranged, just completely disgusting individuals who will give a Nazi salute and will carry a Nazi flag. And I consider those people to be the lowest form of life out there breathing oxygen right now. Um, but I think on par with them, there's another group who hardcore espouses those beliefs but has learned to go completely underground and has learned to get to their objectives by much more by subterfuge. Um, and they're not going to fly a swastika in your face. They're not going to give a Nazi salute uh, where you can see it. They're going to call themselves by different names. They're going to codify the terms that they use, and they're going to u- they're going to use an entirely different manner to get there. This is not. Uh, I, I think the the movement that's out there now that we would have to worry about more. And again, this is just Mike's opinion. Isn't a movement that would blitzkrieg 
they're a movement that would would creep in and assume positions of power and of positions of influence with the same ultimate objectives of the Third Reich, but in a much more clandestine manner. And that's my opinion. Well, Mike, listen, uh, and speaking for me as well, I know a lot of other people are probably having some question, about how many are left uh, uh, that, that you would consider Hitler's upper upper echelon? How many of them are actually left that, uh, that could still have been still alive? Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously because because of time, and of course the biggest joke that we get uh, we get hit with all the time is, you know, why are you looking for Hitler? There's no way he, he made it to 128 years old. Well, that's you know obvious. Obviously, um, I don't think uh, I don't think there's anybody. It, there are there just because of time. There are no inner circle people mm-hmm. left, but that. We have seen all the earmarks in every single season that the mantle was being passed. And you, you guys saw a lot of that at the end of last season um, when we went to Colonia Dignidad, that although you know they weren't flying a Nazi flag in that compound and although they were calling it something different, um, a lot of these same atrocities, the cycle of atrocities was continuing. Uh, the, they have... They have passed the mantle off. Um, the people that are out there now and still active are these people that got, you know, that got that the torch handed directly from Eichmann, Mengele, uh, Bormann, Hitler, directly, or are they one or two generations removed from them? Um, I don't know. I think the latter is probably a little bit more likely. Um, I think, again, I think it's, it, and it, it, this is a point that we, we talked about actually as, on the team quite a bit this year is at this point, it, it really doesn't matter that they're all dead. We are 100% sure that their ideology survived. We're 100% sure that the evil has survived and that the oppression continues. And sure. at this point, the only way to ferret that out is to prove where these people fled to and where they went to ground and the connections that they made because now as the next generation of these just absolute scum starts to emerge into a more public scene, we can then, again, with asset mapping, we can trace these back people back to those same locations, to that, those same small groups, wherever it is that they're ultimately coming out of, and uh, and we can make that connection, and and we'll be able to figure out that you know there are, there are people walking amongst us today, maybe even in public, that have connections to some of these individuals that went to ground uh, in quiet back rooms. They shared their ideology. They planned for decades in the future, and uh, and then they ultimately died a coward's death. Uh, and were buried in a nameless grave somewhere, but their ideology continued. Okay, well, cool. <laughs> what was the biggest surprise that you learned uh, in this season? Without giving away too much. Uh, biggest, biggest surprise that I learned in this season? Um, two big ones. Uh, uh, I can tell you the... Uh, 
the finale of this season for me on the ground as an investigator standing in the exact lo- in, in, in a in the location that I was uh, was equally emotionally impactful and uh, I expect the level of emotional gut punch that you felt in the finale of season two you can expect all that and possibly more in the finale of season three um things that i had just shocked me just uh, you know all the way to my bones literally um the other thing that uh, surprised me the most and this was uh not on an emotional level this was just a, a great kind of aha moment uh, as an investigator is uh, uh, you got a little glimpse of in the uh, the trailer for what's going to happen on the next episode. So in the next episode, um, I put on a dry suit and a scuba tank, and I go, I go in the water to uh, see exactly what secrets Lake Altasee is, is holding, and I can tell you, it's holding a lot of secrets, and you, you get you got a little glimpse of that in the trailer, yes. but uh, it's uh, it's definitely there. And physically seeing that that proof and uncovering that proof with your own hands and seeing it with your own eyes and and holding it in your hand, uh, that's a feeling that I don't think could be compared with. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Mike. Let me go back to uh, Stephen's question. You know, how many are out there? Um, you know, we're probably looking about two generations down this time in, in our time yeah. now. What what are they waiting for? What is their end game? I mean, do they have, like, annual meetings? And, you know, what, what are they waiting for? I, I don't think they are waiting. I think, I think they're doing what they're doing. I think they just have a much different plan. You know, if you look at... Um, and and James, you know James being a historian, he can he can kind of expound on this much better than I can. But um, the the Nazis in the Third Reich, uh, late thirties, going into the forties, it, it was all about expand or die for them. I mean, they really they really had to. They had they were a small country. They didn't have enough of their own resources. Um, he. Uh, it's kind of funny because this this term. I just the other day I heard the the somebody use the term government jobs programs, and whenever I hear that term, I actually think of the government jobs programs of Nazi Germany because that's how he, uh, you know, in a country that had no employment, he kind of created false employment with all this road work, building an autobahn they really couldn't afford, um, uh, creating all these government jobs, but. That was not sustainable. So in order to sustain all the people that Hitler put in uniform, because really he was giving them jobs by putting them in, in these German military uniforms, he had to then do something with that. And, you know, he had to conquer lands. He had to take resources from other places. So there was a there was a time factor there. You know, there, there was a reason that the Nazis they had to do it and they had to do it quick. Um, I don't think the movements that we're talking about today have the impetus to do that because they're not talking about uh, a post-World War I Germany that they're having to sustain the population and move quickly to gather natural resources. I think this, this is a movement that is willing to bide its time 
and work in the shadows and uh, use all the resources of the 21st century, you know, the, the Internet uh, and, and everything that it involves to, to gather resources, to do recruitment. Um, and, again, I think they do the recruitment under a totally different face. I don't think this is a, a website people go to with a swastika on the landing page and, and click for more information. I think this is they're putting out feelers on an ideological level and uh, bringing people into this ideological umbrella and saying, you know, this is our ultimate goal. Um, you know, you know, get on board and be a part of this. And uh, they're, I don't think they're waiting for anything. I think they're doing it right now. I think they're, they're gathering assets. I think they are putting people in positions of key influence. I think they are also looking to recruit people in positions of key influence and uh, get money from people. And I, I'm 100% sure that there are people out there. You know, there, were, there were people in Germany in the 1930s that were not bad people that maybe thought, maybe thought Hitler had the right idea. This was, you know, before the evil was completely uncovered. And I think now it's easier for these people who are just, you know, have those same terrible evil ideals to kind of keep that under wraps and maybe solicit funds or solicit support from people in positions of power and influence by using the right buzzwords, by saying, you know, this is what we want. These are what our goals are. Um, you know, they put a much, much different, they pack it in a much different, it's, they're, they're, the poison in the bottle has been packaged in, in a very appealing package to this point for people that they don't realize what, what they're consuming. And because uh, I, I do think they've learned from the mistakes of the past. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, James, James and I, you know, talked about Reich, but, you know, talked about all the, you know, the, the Third Reich was, was fraught with, with in, in retrospect, you know, looking through the lens of history, it's like huge mistake, huge mistake, huge mistake, you know, huge tactical mistake, huge strategic mistake, you know, throwing all of the, your resources into this instead of this, um, you know, I think yeah. the people I, out there now that espouse this ideology have learned from those mistakes. Well, now, now let me let me go way out into left field here and get a little conspiratorial. Sure. Because we we hear the same language thrown around the media today a lot. You know, mm -hmm. nationalism, or you know, anti-fascism, or this is fascist, or so and so is fascist, or Trump's a Nazi. Well, no, Hillary's a Nazi. And mm -hmm. you've got these groups that are acting very similar uh, on both sides mm -hmm. to, you know, 1930s mm -hmm. Germany. You know, like yep. the, the Beer Hall pushed. And do you think that maybe there really is a connection? If you say that this group is probably sitting back in the shadows and, you know, utilizing modern resources such as the Internet or, you know, mm -hmm. social networking do you think it's possible that it really is happening? Um, I I 100% I think it's possible. I mean, if you look if you look at the frustrated in the 1930s in in post World War One Germany, the frustrated Germans who mm -hmm. uh, you know couldn't get a job, 
Um, well, the, the, the Treaty of Versailles was killing him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were beaten, they were broken, they were angry. And they were, you know, they were looking. I, one of the people that I talked to in the course of my investigation was uh, somebody, uh, he's not a Holocaust survivor himself, but uh, has family members that were, and he's worked uh, closely with the Mossad and with the Wiesenthal organization. And he told me, he said, you know, one thing that we, the, what we, what we learned from history is the swastika, you know, the swastika is bad. And, you know, the, the Nazi salute is bad. And anybody who gets up and praises Adolf Hitler, they're bad. But what we haven't learned is that the tactics are bad. That anyone, who, anyone with any ideology who tells you that person is to blame, that, that person is the problem, whether they're an ethnicity or a religion or an ideology, and says, uh, that person is to blame, and therefore they are your enemy, and therefore you are completely justified in whatever you do against them, that's, that's wrong by any stretch of the imagination. And basically that was, that was in, the, in the conversation I had with him, he said, you know, that any, any time uh, someone comes up and they put them, prop themselves up as a leader, and their first order of business is to point at, a, at is to ally themselves with one group and then convince that group that another group is their enemy, that's, that's a problem, and that's how it starts. That's how things like this start. Um, and if you look at Germany in the 1930s, uh, most of the people that were on the streets marching and getting angry, uh, I, I bet most of them hadn't even read Mein Kampf. They didn't 100% understand it. They knew they were angry. And they wanted to get out there. They wanted to get out there and do something about it. And uh, I think in the age of the internet, a person that has this twisted ideology, it's even more simple for them to spin up groups like this and to to get work them into a frenzy. And like you said, on both sides, uh, work these people into a frenzy, convince other people that they're enemy. And, and say, you know, you got to go and clash against them. And I think you, you see these clashes happening in cities all across the country um, between these, uh, between these uh, Antifa groups and between these, you know, what they're calling the alt-right groups. And I, I think some, somewhere there's somebody watching this on TV, sipping a nice cold drink and just giggling to themselves because this is all part of their plan. You know, and it—I don't know if they're if they're allying themselves with one of these groups or maybe even both these groups. You know, it, it's there's a lot, lot of, lot to be gained by pitting groups against each other and just kind of watching and seeing how it plays out. Um, there, there are power brokers out there who, you know, and I'm speaking on a highly conspiratorial level here. Um, it, this might sound a little bit wacky to some people in your audience, but you know there, there's people out there in positions of power that that are willing to do things like this. You know, it, is it is this just a theory? Is this really going on? I don't know. I mean, I I think you know, history tells us that it's possible, and uh, wh- whether it is or not, I don't know. But you know, I know there's people out there that espouse evil, and uh, and I don't think they're sitting idly by. Uh, are they a part of, of everything we're seeing, all this chaos we're seeing on television? I don't know. I can't say for sure. But I, I certainly think that it would be a way for them to further their goals. 
Does Hitler have any living relatives left? Um, according to uh, if according to the research that Gerard has done, um, yes. Uh, I, I, well, are you talking about direct descendants or, or blood relatives just at all? Yeah, just just at all. Like um, you know, they talk about it. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, he does. He does have. He does have blood relatives. If you watch the documentary "Meet the Hitlers," um, mm -hmm. there's actually one individual who claims to be, the, and there's some question about whether he is or not. But but the the reason that question arose as to whether he was or not was they contacted somebody who legitimately they knew was a blood relative of Hitler, who said, "No, I don't think that guy's related to us." Um, I believe, and I, I could be wrong, I'm sure you have audience members who have seen it, and I might be uh, not remembering it correctly, but um, uh, unless I'm thinking of something just totally out of left field, I'm, I'm fairly certain that, that, that yes, uh, he has some living blood relatives, and there are theories out there, as I said, that uh, Hitler and Ava Braun had one or two daughters, and that, uh, and that his line was on. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard that rumor. I just wasn't sure if you guys had any contact um, with anybody throughout the uh, investigation. No, that's uh, you know that that's been a point uh, that you know, we we certainly have encountered individuals that uh, related to to other folks, uh, both last season and this season. Um, we we uncover some family members of uh, some very well-known and high-ranking individuals, but um, as far as access to anyone directly related to Adolf Hitler himself, those who are living and known to be living have, you know, for obvious reasons, chosen to distance themselves from that, and they, you know, they they have wanted privacy from that and and have chose to seclude themselves. I think many of them have actually changed their surname. Um, I don't. I've never had a conversation with Gerard as far as you know what uh, what he's done to run down the possibility of talking to to Hitler's actual just actual descendants uh, if he has any. So, uh, but you know, for for obvious reasons, uh, those are people that would want to keep that secret. Um, if they are out there, maybe maybe in a couple of generations that will change. You know, we've certainly seen that in the past that generations down the line come forward and they say, you know, "This is a horrible family secret we've been hiding." And, I think the only way to, to cleanse our familial soul is basically to come forward with this information. So, you know, maybe maybe someday we'll, we'll see that. Now, Mike, let, let me get just a little bit wordy here because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in order in order to, to spare us Jews, God spread us to the four winds of the earth. You know, he created a diaspora. Mm -hmm. And throughout the hunting Hitler investigation, it seems to have focused primarily in South America for obvious reasons. Do you right. think that your investigation is eventually going to send you to other countries? I mean, would they have would they have gone to other countries as well as South America? Um, I do. I think I, I think at the time, if you, if you look at um, the mid 20th century and on, uh, South America was an ideal location for them because of the bridges that they had built, 
leading up and during uh, and during the Second World War, um, that was uh, an area of the world that didn't have a lot of focus on it. Um, that was had a lot of remote areas. This was before you know. This was pre-internet, pre-iPhone, uh, pre-YouTube. So uh, this was an, was an ideal place for them. But I think. And we we touched on it very briefly in second season, and you'll see something of it here in the third season. That as uh, friendly governments, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a very tumultuous time in the continent of South America when uh, governments were falling <laughs> at a fairly prolific rate, um, and you do see a migration. Uh, of these escaped Nazis as these governments are changing hands from a friendly government to a not-so-friendly government. So we know that there was some movement there. Um, I have to think that uh, over a certain amount of time, um, it would have made sense for them to move out of there and to other locations, uh, including the U.S., because, you know, obviously post-World War II, as the eyes were on us, as we were emerging as a superpower, um, especially when you're talking about these second-generation individuals who wouldn't be recognizable and, you know, had a birth certificate from wherever it might be, um, they could very easily come to the U.S., um, you know, using what was left of this, this Nazi plunder to, to set themselves up uh, and, and set up a foothold and, and possibly continue with the, the plans for this Fourth Reich, Fifth Reich, whatever it might be. So I, I do think there was some of that. You know, obviously the, the key to our investigation is this, these individuals, you know, Adolf Hitler himself and his close confidants. So we're just concentrating on that. Um, we have got, gotten some leads that um, would possibly take us in other directions. Um, we couldn't, uh, some of them came a little bit late this year, so, uh, we couldn't necessarily run them down. Uh, we know about them. It's, uh, will there be a fourth season? I don't know. <laughs> I, I can tell you that we're still getting information. So if there is a fourth season, I think you would certainly see us flexing outside of South America, going to some other locations if that were to happen. Um, if not, I mean, this we've, we've got the information and, you know, this could always get passed off to someone else. This could make a standalone documentary someday or this could be something that somebody runs down on their own and ends up on the front page of, uh, of every magazine in the world someday. Who knows? Just one more reason that we need to build that wall, right? <laughs> well, that's a, well that's a, I, I think Canada they, they, they look They'd probably already be on this side of the wall. It's uh, I'm I'm in I'm a Texan, so I'm in I'm in favor of the wall, and I actually know quite a few border patrol agents, and I actually work with quite a few because you know the company that Tim and I have, Sheepdog, and uh, literally uh, it kind of funny. We're, we're kind of doing this odd segue here, but. <laughs> Watching the the meeting uh, in uh, in uh, in the White House last week, and uh, Henry Cuellar, who's from uh, South Texas, uh, who has uh, quite a reputation in Texas, I can tell you, uh, 
ta- trying to tell Trump that none of the Border Patrol chiefs or agents believe the law will work, um, and every Border Patrol agent I know saying that uh, he's completely full of it, uh, that's not the case. You know, we, we do need some physical barriers. Um, we need 21st century barriers. You can't build a wall across the entire border. Geography won't allow it. Um, and, and just a wall is not what you need because anybody can climb over a wall. So we need a, a combination of physical barriers and electronic surveillance and, and uh, agents on the ground patrolling it and agents allowed to do their job. Um, you know, we need a, a complete revamp of that system. This is totally outside the scope of this show, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can't get that done here? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Hopefully they'll, hopefully they'll get it done in D.C. this year. I've got a, a little bit of hope for that. So we need... Uh, I mean, we, we, know that, we know that what we have now is just not working. So, you know, we, we need something. Yeah. Well, you know. And and we have to keep an eye out on those Canadians too, right? You know, especially with the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, you know, trying to trying to come down here and you know you know spread hockey everywhere. Yeah, how rude! Yeah. <laughs> how rude. <laughs> They're just too nice. We're going to have to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, change that politeness. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. it's been interesting. <laughs> it, it's certainly a, a great series that you guys are a part of, and um, I'm glad you're back for another season. And hopefully a fourth one comes along. We love watching it. And uh, again, we thank you for being on the show. And uh, we've had our guest today has been uh, Doctor Michael Simpson. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me on. I hope everybody enjoys the show. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.